Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Coffee Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Friday, March 20th. Thanks to Maria Tuscan, I realized it was March. I mean, Friday. I knew it was March. I thought it was Monday. And Maria texted me to say, it's Friday, you idiot. But she said it very nicely. Anyway, uh, I'm Carter, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie. Hi, Carter. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing in Texas? How's the craziness? I'm, a- I'm okay. How are you? We're hanging in there. We got uh, Gavin Newsom issued a statewide uh, shelter-in-place order. So uh, I don't know if everyone's... I assume people are ignoring it, but uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. I don't... Texas is still pretty clean, correct? Or no? Yes, for the most part. Oh, that's good. Uh, I think I uh, I think the warm weather is probably good good for uh, no virus activity. Anyway, uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. You can also please support us at Subscribe Star. We've got merch at unsafespace.com. You can pick up, and uh, book club is this Sunday, right, Carrie? Sunday? Yeah, the 22nd at 7 p.m. Central. 7 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Pacific, and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So join us for that. We're reading The Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. And it should be fun. All right. Oh, I know. The other thing I wanted to say was I want to shout out and say happy birthday to Nicole. I won't say which Nicole's birthday it is, but, you know, happy birthday, Nicole, who... Who will know who she is? So there you go. All right. Uh, I don't... Today, I mean, it's it's pretty tough to not talk about stuff related to what's happening. So I'm not going to try and avoid it. I don't want to do a lot of coronavirus freak out, but I do want to talk about some of the stuff around what's happening on the coronavirus. And I think today's... Most of the topics from today's show are brought to you by Kent Onufrichuk, who has sent a lot of interesting stuff to talk about uh, to us on Facebook, including something that he asked last week. So um, I don't even know really where to start. Uh, I guess what breaking news just happened. Uh, I I forget who said this in chat, but I went and looked it up. Um, The Federal Reserve is going to commit to what they say a trillion dollars a day uh, in repo, I think, uh, which is basically loans to banks. Uh, they're going to do a trillion dollars a day because that's, you know, that's how they solve crises. <laughs> Every solution for their crisis is print money, make loans, expand credit. That's their solution. So that's what they're going to do. Um, but I know a lot of you are actually concerned more about the economic impact of this whole thing. Uh, you know, it's affected, I know, I know it's affected, it's affected almost everyone I know. It affected us. We lost a source of income. Um, it wasn't a big source of income, but it was a source of income. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of you who are suffering, needing, uh, you know, needing some help. This is going to be, this is a tough time. And um, I, I kind of, I kind of almost, like I said, I kind of almost don't know where to start. Uh I guess we can kind of start at the top, which is uh, I've said early on, I want to be, 
you know, I was the one saying be concerned about coronavirus. I was the one isolating myself. Um, that doesn't mean I'm in agreement with the government forcing people to isolate. Um, I'm opposed to the heavy-handed authoritarian stuff happening, most of it. Um, and the socialism that people want. It's crazy to me how, like, Republicans are like, uh, socialism is bad. Look at Bernie. Socialism is bad. UBI is stupid. And then the moment there's a crisis, they're like, yay, print us up some money. Send us some checks. Uh, I don't, that bothers me. I don't know if it bothers you, Carrie, but it bothers me. Um, because it's not, it doesn't really bother me because it's like a one, I see it as a one-time thing. And, uh, what I find more interesting are the democratic leaders on the left who were opposing it and coming out against it just because it was something that Trump suggested, which is kind of interesting. That is interesting. And and I don't know if, did you see that Nancy Pelosi wanted Trump to assume more emergency powers? She was like, you need to be like, no, I missed that. Yeah. She didn't say dictator, but she's like. She was saying um, there's this act that Trump Trump invoked, which is the Defense Protection Act. And he's basically like, well, we don't want to use it. It's just like in place in case we need it. And she's like, you need to do it now. Forced manufacturing, manufacturing, like wartime manufacturing of masks and blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's weird to see people's true colors come out regardless of their political allegiance or their supposed political allegiance it's weird to see what they what matters to them um and a disappointing number of uh a disappointing number of people who run around screaming liberty small government are suddenly really excited about large government stuff and bailouts for large companies and all this kind of crap um in fact here wait i made i made a graph for people this is how i'll start I'll share my lovely graph that I made. <laughs> it's not very good, but that's okay. Uh, let's see, full screen. Here we go. Here's my graph. This is just to explain to people. This is how the world works. I don't know if you can read this. This is the reality of your options. This is not political. This is just reality. On the left, you have individual freedom. And on the bottom, you have willingness to accept personal responsibility. Uh, If you don't want to accept much responsibility, you don't get much freedom. If you want freedom, you need to accept all the responsibility. That's how the world works. You can't have it both ways. You can't run around yelling freedom, but I don't want to be responsible. Uh, That it doesn't work. So that's kind of why, (laughs) how I wanted to start my thoughts on this. I guess I'll just, I'll just, I guess I'll just start by answering Ken's Ken's first question. Um, He's got it. He says, "What? Okay, small government's role in public health crisis." Um, what what does he think? What do I think? Small government's role should be in in a public health crisis. This is a tough one because um, we're not in a. The our problem is that we're not. It's not that we have a crisis. It's that we are not resilient to this crisis, um, and I don't believe that this problem can be solved. Like ultimately, like people are asking, what do we do now? But also, like, how do we prevent this in the future? Blah blah blah. Um, you can't solve this kind of a crisis with politics, um, which is why I showed the self-responsibility graph. <laughs> um, if you're in a culture where people assume self-responsibility and self-ownership, then then you're in a culture which 
uh, includes planning ahead, saving and not spending, not a lot of uh, racking up debt, not a lot of extended credit. You've got a community of support around you that's small, that's like people that you know, that you um, rely on, that you've built up. You use your own judgment to take actions. You don't um, you know, rely on the government or authorities to tell you what to do, but we don't live in that culture. I mean, if you just look at like, la I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I think it was last week, it, at least in the Bay Area, no one was paying this any mind. No one was doing anything. You know what made people freak out? What? Sports closed. <laughs> That's what made people freak out. They're not going to freak out. Nothing's wrong. Suddenly the NBA stops doing games. Then everyone freaks out. P There's too many people who are looking for an external signal and... Um, looking to be saved by the government. And the fact is that the government can't actually save you. Um, I guess they can a little bit. I mean, you can have authoritarianism and they can prevent the crisis. Like who knows what they did in China? They may have done a great job in China, but that's what you, you know, if you want to be a farm animal, then you can rely on the farmer to protect you. Uh, but you know, there's not, <laughs> that's what you get. You get what you get. Then you're a farm animal you don't have freedom. Um, I don't think the government's necessary at all to answer Kant's question directly. I don't think it's necessary at all to handle this crisis um, in, an, in an ideal world, in a world where the culture is correct. However, we're not in a culture where people take care of themselves and have self-responsibility. We're in a culture in which um, Americans are always looking to authority to tell them what to do um, and what to think. And we're in a culture in which if you just look at our, just fi just financially even, we're not prepared for this kind of stuff, which is not, I'm not blaming the individuals necessarily in the culture for this, um, where we've, if you look at how the U.S. has run its economy for the past several decades, um, we have, we went from being the largest uh, creditor to the largest debtor. Uh, in the span of, I think, three years. I, I think in 1982, the United States was the largest creditor nation. And by 1985, we were the lar largest debtor nation. Uh, if you look at, here's the debts. Here's the U.S. debt, right? This is basically zero or tiny down here, but we had, we were owed money, so we were a net creditor uh, until the, the creditor curve, which isn't here, crossed in, in 1985, I think. And ever since then, so we were literally the world's largest creditor in 83 and the world's largest debtor. We didn't just cross. We became the world's biggest creditor. We went from the biggest creditor to biggest debtor. Um, and I know a lot of Republican types aren't going to like this, but this all happened under Reagan. And every single president, regardless of their party affiliation, has outdone the president before them in terms of borrowing money. So we've basically have this giant bubble. We've been borrowing and printing money, um, you know, kicking the can down the road, hoping that our grandkids will solve the problems for us. And as a result, we don't have a country full of savings and resources that can weather a storm for a rainy day. Um, a lot of people are living hand to mouth. Um, the consumer credit is, I think I have that graph somewhere, but I don't think anyone needs to see it. I mean, you all know consumer credit is has skyrocketed. Um, if you look at the savings rate, the average savings rate has gone down over the last several decades, but not a lot. However, what I couldn't find was the median saving rate. I will bet you if you look at the median uh, savings rate, 
then you will see a sharp decline. I think on average, it's declined a little bit, but my guess is, you know, we've also seen um, uh, income disparity. And so I think if you, the top are skewing those results because the top save quite a lot. You can only spend so much money to live. So if you're Jeff Bezos, you can't spend half of your income a year to live. It's kind of not possible. So your savings rate is just by default extremely high. So um, we've had a decrease in savings. We've had an increase in credit. We've got we've also transitioned to a service economy predominantly. So um, we've got uh, you know I, I think the service sector has been the largest growing sector for a while. If I'm correct, someone can correct me in chat if I'm if I'm wrong. But uh, here I've got a here this is another graph. Here's a, here's a difference between the manufacturing sector and the service sector. Uh, let's see, full screen. So the uh, orange is service, blue is manufacturing. Well, uh, what happens to a service economy when everyone has to stay home? I think that's pretty clear. So we're in a particularly precarious situation, and my argument is not that right now no government could do a better job like i'm not saying that hey we should just do anarchy right now that'll solve the coronavirus what i'm saying is because we have become to rely on this government because this government has screwed us over monetarily i mean the biggest the biggest joke on the public is the fall of the, the of the dollar and the increase in consumer debt um i mean here's here take a look at the purchasing power of the dollar i know i'm showing a lot of graphs but Here's the purchasing power of the dollar, guys. Here's 1913. Federal Reserve was created in 1913. Look at the purchasing power of the dollar since then. And this is up to 2017. It's probably gone down since then. It's lost more than 96% of its value. This is the big joke. This is the joke on you. And this is what they've been doing to fund all of their crap, their wars with random countries and all their, uh, you know, pork barrel pro projects for buddies and and to buy voters and everything else that they do. Uh, and and here we have it. So we've got an economy that, like, I know Trump touts the economy all the time. He stupidly took credit for the economy, which means he's going to take credit for this, uh, <laughs> for the downturn. But, you know, we've got a very, very precarious society and that's it's precarious precisely because of the amount of government we have relied on the lack of self-reliance that we have the complete bubble economy that we've built the amount of debt i mean the, i don't even have a chart for the u.s debt but people know i think it's like 20 trillion plus another 100 trillion in unfunded liabilities or something i'm i'm not off by order of magnitude but it's around there somewhere it's probably gone up since i last checked so you know we're extremely precarious so we've got you know, of course people need to go to work. If I were a, if I were a millennial, um, or if I were young, if I were Gen Z, I might want to be going to work right now. I mean, I isolated because I don't want to get older people in my family sick. Um, we didn't want to get, uh, you know, we're not super young, um, just worried about health issues generally. And it was very easy for us to isolate and we had the, the ability to do that. But if I were Gen Z, I'd be pissed off because now if I've got a job and uh, I need to be out there, let's say, you know, working uh, at retail or something like that, uh, I've just lost my job. Basically, I'm going to be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs when the threat to me is actually very low. So yes, I understand that I, I might be spreading it going out there. But Again, in a society with individual responsibility, it's your responsibility to figure out whether or not 
you know, what extent of exposure you need to have to the world. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're old, you should be staying home, right? If you're immunocompromised, you should be staying home. That's a step that you should take. And if you're around people that are old and immuno immunocompromised, you should also be staying home. But this should be an individual decision that's made, not uh, a government decision. And so, I, you know, one of the things that scares me is everyone is just getting used to this. New York and California have now both issued a shelter-in-place order, which means you basically you're not allowed to go out. You're not allowed to go out unless it's for emergency, um, or sorry, essential businesses. And their definition of essential businesses, of course, includes them. Uh, it includes the media, which is odd. Uh, and you know infrastructure and grocery stores and that kind of stuff. But if you're if you're running, um, you know, a little shop selling, you know, trinkets. If you're running a yarn, you're well. This is for the group. You're running a yarn store. That's not essential. You can't go out and uh, sell your yarn. So this is, um, you know, I don't know what the answer is. My friend correctly pointed out that we have in the past done some pretty authoritarian type things during war and kind of returned those civil liberties afterwards. So it doesn't mean it's necessarily a shift, uh, like a complete forever loss of, of civil liberties. But it certainly is uh, a pretty disturbing one. And I, I'm disturbed at how no one seems to be reacting to this other than cheering it. And, um, and again, I'm arguing that you should stay at home. I've been staying at home. I'm not arguing that it's not a threat. I'm not arguing you shouldn't isolate. I'm arguing that the government shouldn't force you to isolate. And so many people are just cheering that. And, and they're cheering these bailouts. Trump's talking about bailing out the airlines. This is, I know I'm on a rant. Sorry, Kerry. I, Trump is talking about bailing out the airlines. Like, and there's this there's sentiment like, well, if we don't bail out the airline industry, it will cease to exist. That is a stupid, stupid lie. That is a dumb, foolish, retarded thing to say. If the airline, if, if Delta goes out of business, the planes don't cease to exist. Someone else swoops in, picks up the assets, and runs the company more efficiently. They're probably, they're probably in debt anyway, so probably better. That's how capitalism works, right? The assets are there. Someone else comes in and swoops them. You don't, we don't lose air travel. The airports don't go away. The people who know how to fly planes don't go away. The planes don't go away. The fuel for the planes doesn't go away. All that capital equipment and know-how is still there. It's just the owners change. Some douchebags on Wall Street lose their money. Fine, that happens. Let it happen. That's how the economy corrects. So this idea that we have to bail everyone out and, and Trump is bailing out big industries, but he's screwing over small business royally. Small business is going to be devastated. And I think it's like 44% of our economy is small businesses. And small business is just gonna be crushed by this. There's moves to be put, forcing them to pay employees, which is ridiculous. But, but exempt large businesses. Small businesses never fall into the essential category, so none of them are gonna get to continue to operate. Um, I've spoken to people, some of whom are in chat, who've lost income because of this. Uh, so, you know, while I do think as a community we should come together and fight this thing and isolate, I don't think that these heavy-handed measures from the government forcing people to do this stuff is the right way to go and, um, and to me, it's a little bit, it's a little bit disconcerting. Uh, it's it's scary. I don't I don't I don't like that people are okay with it. Oh, and and governments have been shutting down gun sales. They've been just declaring you can't buy guns anymore, right? Because people are running out and, and purchasing firearms. Oh, I didn't hear that. Absolutely. So now it's like, oh, we can't buy guns or ammo. This is uh, I don't know when the boogaloo starts, but 
I, I feel like this is a uh, approximate cause at least. My rant's over, Carrie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> I didn't hear about the guns. Yeah. Daniel Keene says there's no ammo left anyway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there is uh, a deplorable lack of ammunition. And, yeah. um, but, you know, the thing that scares me about the gun stuff is there's a bunch of people running out buying guns. And, uh, you know, my friend, a friend of mine said, what are they going to do with them? Like, if they're not trained, <laughs> if I, it's, I mean, you know. I guess it's helpful, but uh, you probably should have bought guns a long time ago. So anyway, this is um, this is something disturbing to me. Someone just brought up default username just said House Bill HR fifty seven seventeen is a sweeping federal gun and ammo registration bill. I didn't know that existed. That's scary. So this is the thing: in crisis, people are just going to turn into please, please, government, daddy, protect us, and. Um, yeah, uh, Daniel Keene says false sense of security. Yeah, I mean, if you're going and buying a gun and you've never shot a gun, you have a little bit of a false sense of security. It may help you. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, it, guns are pretty easy to operate. It, it may help you, but um, you might want to want to train first and, and and go to the range a little bit. Uh, the other bill, actually, def so default username brought up this guns and ammo thing. The other one that's that's bothering me, and I forgot to look it up before the show. Carrie, have you seen this? Um, uh, encryption, this encryption bill. No, I haven't. So, um, the, there's an anti-encryption bill that is, let me, let me look at here. I think, yeah, Senator Lindsey Graham, Richard Blumenthal supported this bill. Um, it's also supported by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Um, they want to basically force companies that have encrypted chats to give them access to all uh, communications. If that's not Big Brother, I don't know what is. I mean, we already know the NSA is attacking all of those. And, and just to be clear, they have put back doors in lots of things. Like, for example, I think it's public knowledge that Skype is basically completely owned by the government. Um, like there, there are definitely, there are definitely most, most chat applications are by default owned by the government. The company just gives the keys away, right? There are a few like Signal that try and protect from the government, although I'm sure those are under attack as well. So we don't really know the security. Um, yeah, I don't know about Signal. I heard, I heard from uh, my friend that Signal is not uh, safe from prying eyes. <laughs> yeah. So, right. And, and telegram, um, some people rely on telegram. I don't know how safe telegram is, but the point is granting the government this massive authority, especially <sighs> poor Edward Snowden, the guy risks his career. He's, he's like stuck in Russia to expose to the American people that you're being spied on. And what do you do? Nothing, nothing. We do nothing about it. We just, let's pass some laws to make spying easier. I don't, Edward Snowden, you tried to save us, but we didn't want to be saved. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, so that's happening. So that, that bill, and I'm concerned about the news because, cycle because they're not going to pay attention to the bill. The mainstream media doesn't care about that bill. So um, in fact, they probably like it. They love the idea of more power. So they're going to ignore that bill while that bill, you know, we're all going to be talking about coronavirus and they're going to, you know, shove that through bill through. 
Um, I don't know. There's a. Uh, what was it? What was the other? There was another bill that I couldn't remember. Oh, this is the other thing. <laughs> Not to scare people, but the police have now. And now the police in Philadelphia have announced that they're not going to arrest people for nonviolent offenses anymore because of the coronavirus. California has started to release people from jail because of the coronavirus. Um, this is why people are running around buying guns and uh, worried that they have to protect themselves. And I don't blame you because you may have to protect yourselves. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be, but I you know. Lots of police departments in major cities are already overwhelmed. They already, uh, they already like many places in the Bay Area. They won't even investigate uh, like property crimes. Like if you get robbed, they'll just like file a report and they didn't even have the resources to investigate. So if you imagine an uptick in crimes as a result of this, uh, I don't know how the police departments are going to handle it. So. It is, uh, Daniel Keene says, it's it's quite the nice powder keg, isn't it? Yeah, it's a complete powder keg. This is a complete powder keg. And all of this is on top of a very weak currency, um, which, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I if you can still do some prepping, uh, please do some prepping. If you, if you can still do prepping, do prepping. You can still get stuff from a lot of stores. The supply chains aren't totally broken. Um, so do that. Well, speaking about crime, I saw one, um, I don't know if it was an article or, or a tweet about a police officer saying that they, where they were asked, have they noticed anything different yet as a, you know, in the past couple of weeks? And they said immediately, they said, yeah, an increase in domestic violence, which is yeah. depressing. Yeah. Well, you know, um, not that. I'm going to sound like a crazy person, but I have, I have, I'm very rational. I have reason for this. So, but I'm going to say, I, Carrie already knows this. So Carrie will laugh. She's going to laugh quietly. Um, the past few weeks I've been listening to the radio police radio bands. Um, and the reason for that is I wanted to get an idea of what the status quo is. I wanted to get a feel for like, what's a typical night? What's the average traffic going on in the police radio bands? Um, and the reason that I did that is because I wanted to have a baseline so that I could tell if there was an, if there was a, something much different going on. So um, I can say just anecdotally listening, there has been, um, I've heard a, an uptick of domestic violence. Also, lots of arguments between, it's something you ha I wouldn't have thought about, but like divorced couples arguing about the kids because like one of them wants to keep the kids maybe because of a quarantine and now they're arguing about it and they're calling the police and that's, that's turning problematic. Uh, there's more rob. There, I've, I've heard more two um, elevens, right? And more more robberies uh, or burglaries and uh, that kind of stuff. You know, it's anecdotal, but I totally expect to see see more and more of that as we um, as we move up, as we move on. So uh, I don't know what to do about it, but stay yeah, away. the stuff about fighting over the children and like that was something that hadn't occurred to me. Like, what if you're quarantined and your ex not, and how do you figure that out? You know, who the kid stays with. Yep. yep. And from what I heard, the states were saying, someone, someone told me that, that, you know, Texas, for example, had said, 
you have to follow your existing your existing agreement. Right. So if your child is supposed to go stay with their husband with your ex husband, they're supposed to go stay with your ex husband, regardless of whether he's quarantining or not. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, it. Basically, undoes your quarantine if you're quarantining because kids are just a vector. They're not likely to get sick, but they are likely, or they're not likely to suffer major problems, but they are likely to carry it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, Laura says domestic violence and child abuse is going to go way up. Yeah, I think so too. I know that's a depressing thing to think about, but uh, I read something else about how people in a crisis. I don't know if this is true or not, but the idea that people revert to type. So that angry people get angrier or uh, fearful people get more fearful. And um, and I just think about abusive people <laughs> and what and also like if you're living with an abusive person and not and and you're now on quarantine and there's so you're in that powder keg, you know, of being at home with someone like that. It's yeah. kind of not a good thought. Yeah, that is scary, Carrie. Um I don't know. I I think the rea- the public reaction to the public plus the government's reaction to this is worse than the virus itself. Um not again, not that I'm discounting the virus, but uh, Ninja Kitty wants to <laughs> I think Ninja Kitty mentioned this uh, Marvel superhero. Ninja Kitty asked if we saw Marvel's new superhero. Yes, because we tweeted that we're now we now have we're now Marvel's official nemesis. Marvel released a superhero. I'll see if I can find a picture. I actually didn't have a picture queued up, but um, Marvel released uh, Snowflake and Safe Space as <laughs> superheroes. I think Safe Space's uh, vulnerability is the truth, but I'm not totally sure. Um, let's here. Let's take a look at this. Here is here's a picture of Marvel's new. Awesome. Oops. Sorry. I'm a little slow. Here's a picture of Marvel's new awesome superheroes. Snowflake and Safe Space. I guess they're trying to I don't I don't know if the word is reclaim these words. Claim these words as great things. Here you go. Uh Snowflake and Safe Space. Snowflake, just so everyone knows, Snowflake is non-binary because of course. Uh Wait, this is real? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I'm I'm busy stocking up on ammo and meat in my freezer and Marvel is producing snowflake and safe space. <laughs> the cultural divide has never been greater, Carrie. <sighs> well, I saw today an article, a headline in Vice, which said, uh, you know, our country's uh pandemic response is um disproportionately affecting transgendered people because now because (laughs) wait hold on let me find the headline (laughs) um the coronavirus pandemic has shed light on how transgender people's care can be treated as quote (laughs) non-essential Which wait? Which part of their care is non-essential? If like if they have the coronavirus, I'm pretty sure that's treated the same way as everyone else, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Make no mistake. Is it because they're like because they're trans? They're not treated differently because they're trans. They're this is they're make no mistake. It's not. It's a. This is about saying, um, 
your getting sex reassignment surgery should be something essential. Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of hospitals have banned non-essential surgery. And so is this the argument? Because they've banned plastic surgery and other non-essential surgeries. Right. They're saying that uh, the, the transition surgery is essential. Is that the argument? Yeah, but they've banned more than just plastic surgery. I saw, you know, people talking about like somebody who needs a um, mastectomy for like cancer and that's been postponed as not. Oh, wow. I mean, there are other things that are being postponed as not essential right now that, that are actually life saving. Yeah, that are life saving and that are medically necessary. Um, this squarely falls in what I would define as non essential. Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe even is there is anti essential a word? <laughs> we make it up. It's not, poisonous. It's the wrong thing to do in the first place. Uh, in many cases, it's. It's not essential. I don't know. I just, I just, I, and this is advice. You guys can go look at it. As hospitals prepare for COVID-19, life-saving trans surgeries are delayed. And they use life-saving. There's no such thing as a life-saving trans surgery. Well, so they're doing what they often do, which is, which is talking about how trans people have higher suicide rates and therefore... If you're not giving them the surgery that they want, they might kill themselves. I might kill myself if I can't go to the gun store and buy more ammo. So I'm very, I'm marginalized. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. But that's what ideology is. I mean, ideology is, like we've said before, it's like you're wearing a pair of glasses. And so those glasses, you filter everything through those glasses. And there's other kinds of ideology. I mean, you could even um, view certain religious, your religion might be seen as an ideology. Or, you know, if you were a Christian, for example, you filter everything through the gospel and through God's word. And if you're an SJW, you filter everything through this belief system. So even a pandemic, you can't help yourself. You're looking for the racism. I saw this hilarious, hilarious. Oh gosh, actually, it was Thomas. In I don't know if he's in chat today, but Thomas had posted this hilarious meme, and it was a giant haystack, and it said, um, "You know the the America's COVID nineteen response." This is the haystack, and you saw a person sorting through it. And then there was a magnifying glass and a tiny straight pin. And it says, found it. And it was a little pin that said racism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how they do so, it. <laughs> but they will look for it. They will look for the racism in the pandemic response. They will look for the transphobia in the pandemic response. Like that's how they're, that's what their glasses are. They can't help it. <laughs> well, you remember so when Trump when first had the response team, right? It was all white guys and they was criticized about that. Oh gosh, it's they can't help themselves, and they will find it. He could have all black guys standing behind him, and you and I both know they will find a way to say racist. Those people Tokenized. are tokens. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> I don't know, Carrie. Um, you know, Laura Kirkpatrick and and Nicole Ivy are pointing out that actually, uh, the surgery, any surgery, I think they're I think they're right. It would make you you're you're more vulnerable. You're probably more immunocompromised after surgery. You're so. It's actually more dangerous to do your trans surgery now because if you get COVID, you're less likely to recover. Um, so uh, they're actually yeah. saving trans lives. We should also shout out to Little Ragamuffin who gave us a $5 Super Chat, but she didn't ask a question. She just wanted to donate. You're allowed to just donate. That's great. If you want to go to Super Chat, anyone, and and do that, you, we will read your question and, and 
you can steer the conversation a little bit. Um, let's see. Maria points out something that I'm also concerned about, which is she says, how many people are going to be depressed and suicidal when they come out of this with no business? I, that's a non, that sounds like a like far-fetched thing to worry about, but I, I think it's a very, very real thing. Um, I think you're going to see many small businesses utterly destroyed. And for many people, that small business is their is their life. It's their, not only is their economic livelihood, it's probably their passion. Often if you're a small business owner, this is something you've devoted uh, a lot of energy and resources to in your life. And it can be absolutely devastating. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's not as fun as talking about Snowflake and Safe Space. So I just brought the conversation down, but I'm going to blame, I'm going to blame Maria Tuscan for that. But uh, I think she's right. I think she's right. How about, how about we talk about, how about we talk about how, you know how you said, Carrie, that the, um, like, I forget how you worded it just now. It was, it was, uh, I liked how you worded it. It was something about like, the core of who you are comes out. So if you're angry, you, you're, mm -hmm. you know, you become more angry. If you're an abuser, you abuse more. I don't know. I don't remember the language you used, right? Right. Well, I think that applies to social media companies because if you're a censor, you censor more. So um, here's the social media. Here is, here's what's been sitting at the top of our YouTube for the past week or so. I'm going to read it because it's small. Important, due to COVID-19, we will conduct fewer human reviews to protect the health of our extended workforce. So let's stop at that sentence for a moment. You could imagine that that would mean they're going to be more permissive about what stuff is on because they're not going to do as many reviews. But no, the next sentence reveals they're the opposite. Unfortunately, as a result, we may remove content that does not violate our community guidelines. So um, both Facebook and Google uh, slash YouTube have really gone the censorship route with this thing. They've really decided to um, they've really decided to go down this path of by default we over censor. Facebook was censoring legitimate uh, coronavirus news stuff, um, a whole bunch of coronavirus news uh, because they're worried about quote misinformation, which is extremely impactful in in a situation like this because. The, the stuff that they're not censoring, the mainstream media, just in case, for those who aren't paying attention, the mainstream media is reporting as unquestioned fact everything that China is saying. Everything. They're just, China says there's no new cases today. The mainstream media reports it. Uh, everything about what China is saying. Now, China, I don't know what's true in China, but I do know that China has massively censored stuff. And I do know they have extreme tight controls on the media. And they are willing to literally disappear people uh, who speak out. And so China, to trust China's numbers blindly is the mark of an absolute idiot. And yet that is what the entirety of the Western media is doing, almost the entire Western media. And that is who Facebook has decided to promote as official sources of information. I'm sure I haven't read anything about what Alex Jones has been saying. I'm sure Alex Jones has got some massive, cool conspiracy stuff going on right now with this. I don't know. But um, this is a time when we need the raw information so we can sort through it, not 
for the information gatekeepers to be put on a pedestal. And that's what's happening. And um, I think it's quite scary that, you know, this, this virus is an indication of how much power the social media has in managing any kind of crisis and in, in constructing the narrative. If an authoritarian government thousands of miles away has a narrative, it gets into your Facebook feed because of Facebook and because of the mainstream media. Um, well, and also people are repeating these things. So um, without, I mean, I was in a discussion this morning with someone who, and I've been in several of these, um, this whole BS about how calling, you know, Trump calling it the Chinese virus is racist, which is, is, um, it's actually, people are repeating legit communist Chinese talking points. If you look at the Global Times, which is a state-run propaganda outlet, they're tweeting, which they're, and by the way, Twitter is banned in China, so they don't allow their citizens to be on Twitter. Right. But they're tweeting, the uh, Global Times is tweeting, you know, look at the way Trump, you know, what a president, they said. Look at the way he's calling it the Chinese virus to deflect from his own failings. And then I see people running around on Facebook saying almost word for word the exact same thing. And when you point out to them, look, you're literally repeating communist Chinese talking points. And they do the laugh face emoticon at you because they think that's funny or that you're some conspiracy nut or something. I'm like, no, I mean, read for yourself. Here's the screenshot of Global Times saying what you just said. Right. And they, and it just goes right over their head. I don't know if these people have no um, – I, I guess they're so reliant on their echo, echo chamber and being told what to think and – they're so dead inside in their in their minds. They're they're not even aware that nothing they're saying is an original thought. It was planted there by someone. Like that that idea that him saying that is racist is planted there, and then you're going out and repeating it. Yeah, and, and not actually thinking about it. You know. Yep. No, absolutely. And I was I was trying to I explain this to someone yesterday actually. Um, I noticed, and I don't, you know, I haven't, I haven't gone back and and really researched this, but it seems to me that Trump really started calling it the Chinese virus when the media stopped calling it the Chinese virus. When the media got upset and decided that that was racist, he doubled down. Um, that's when he started to well, use it. Well, and a lot also, more. also, I think, uh, you know, I I will concede the point that he might be saying it with purpose. I think he probably is saying it purposefully, oh, yes. but the purpose, the purpose is not racism. That's where the SJWs jump immediately. You know, the purpose, if any, is probably that the Chinese government is pointing the finger at the U S and saying that U S soldiers took the virus there and spread it in Wuhan. So right. if anything, it's he's pushing he's pushing back against their propaganda arm. He's doing what he does, which is to double down and, you know, and then clueless SJWs and NPCs. I view them as different. Sometimes they're the same, but they're different. NPCs are more of just like people who are They'll just repeat. plugged into the. Yeah, they just repeat stuff. They're just plugged into the machine and they don't even realize they're plugged into the matrix and they just say what they just spit out what they're programmed to say. And they're just repeating this stuff without even examining where it might be coming from. Yeah. And, and, and you know, of course, China China wants to push the idea. That, you know, 
So just so you know, some of the censorship that's happening in China, they are censoring any discussion of, of Chinese handling of the uh, virus in a way that makes the Chinese government look bad. So they, what they, what the Chinese government want, and this is just fact about how they're censoring. The Chinese government is, they, they want people to believe that they did the best job and everyone else is failing. That's their, that's their, that's their agenda right now. So if you have a story in, in, in Chinese media that and you're talking about the virus or any country's response to the virus, you need to compare China favorably to it. Otherwise, you are in trouble. So that is their agenda. And um, I think you're right. I think Trump, I think Trump is actually using the, the words Chinese virus for a few reasons. I think one, it's to remind, it's to push back on the Chinese propaganda. I think two, it's to push back on the mainstream media because they think it's racist and go apeshit about it. Therefore, he uses it because that's that's how he fights the culture war. Um, I think it's also just generally to remind us that, look, if you look at Trump's, uh, Trump is more about bringing manufacturing home, bringing jobs home. Um, he is not a globalist. He's not into uh, global supply chains and relying on other countries. And emphasizing that it's the Chinese uh, virus is is a reminder to everyone that we're in this global economy. We're very fragile. China makes most of our antibiotics. Um, China makes a lot of masks and other equipment as well. So like he's reminding that we're connected to these other countries and we need to protect ourselves. And there are threats that come from the outside. I mean, it, it plays right into the idea, the, the valid idea that there are threats to our country that come from abroad. And some of those threats aren't even necessarily intentional, like economically we're vulnerable. That's, that's a threat to us. Uh, it doesn't mean that the other countries are trying to attack us economically, although that may be true. Um, it's just, we're vulnerable. And this is a way to remind everyone about the global nature of, uh, or, or the, the, the threat that comes hand in hand with the advantage to a global economy and the threats with a global economy. And this is why he has to this is why he does it. He he's reminding everyone of that. He's he's pushing back on the culture war and he's fighting back against Chinese propaganda. So I agree, it's intentional. It's just not racist. Um, so, a, yeah. uh, Carrie, a friend of mine in chat, he he talked about this um, with me earlier, and um, I think it's this might be right up your alley. It's something that he kind of wanted to explore. Was this idea of um, connecting the postmodernism and intersectional ideology directly to the virus. And I've got some thoughts on it, but maybe maybe I should leave it open-ended and see what you think about it. Is there any, do you see a connection between that ideology and uh, the pandemic? Uh, no, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Um, well, I think the the first connection that I see is um, there is this idea that um, all cultures are equivalent and we do not need to worry. Like, it's hand in hand with globalism, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, the the postmodernist um, or the multiculturalist movement asserts that there is no advantage or superiority to the philosophic tenets of Western culture. And so therefore, 
all cultures are exactly the same and or all cultures are equivalent in fact uh they've gone a step further and really claimed that western culture is specifically more evil than other cultures and other cultures are superior um they may not say that explicitly all the time although sometimes they do uh but that's implicit message and they've argued that like diversity is our strength this is it's very important that we have rather than a melting pot we have a salad bowl as you've, you've used the analogy carry where like people don't come into the culture and assimilate they they isolate and have you know their own little uh they bring their other culture with them and and that kind of stuff and um i wonder if you know i think my friend's assertion here is that and and i think there's some truth to it i think my friend's assertion here is that there is a connection between um that mentality and that ideology and the readiness with which we are willing to have vital things manufactured overseas and do um, commerce, rely on important things from other countries um, and engage in a lot more global commerce than we might otherwise do because of that attitude. Um, and so what it leads to is, okay, well, we have, um, we've got a heavy reliant, uh, we're very reliant on China, so we maybe can't get drugs from China or whatever. Um, we have very open, porous borders. We're not very worried about people, you know, there's a lot of pressure to not have a uh, tight border control. Um, there's, there's, uh, concerns about being viewed as racist for, for, doing that stuff, and it allows global pan pandemics to kind of spread more easily. I think more of Europe than the U.S. there. Um, the caveat is there is some racism I've seen. I mean, I've, I have seen some racism against, like I've personally witnessed some pretty horrible racist anti-Chinese stuff since the coronavirus started, so there is some of that out there. Um, but I'm wondering if the borders would be as porous without this intersectional ideology um, part of kind of the fabric of society. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. It's like the celebrities singing Imagine. I missed that. I saw they did that. Is that what they did? Is that what that video was? They were singing Imagine? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then there have been celebrities tweeting about someone from Blink-82 tweeted about um, how we should all get rid of our military and uh, just have like one world military. <laughs> oh, here it is. Tom DeLong from uh, Blink-182 tweeted, if every country gave up their military and there was one military run by the UN for worldwide security, we would save $1 trillion a year for medicine, infrastructure, global education, and cooperation and the beginning of quote, one world, one system, end quote. Wouldn't you love a larger family? No. <laughs> he, he since deleted that tweet, but it lives on in screenshots. <laughs> <sighs> Kent, yeah, so Kent, Kent Anufertrek points out, countries are the only reason there is some containment. Yeah. I, this globalist stuff has been going on for a while. Um, and I haven't really thought of the coronavirus being a, uh, being something that increases the globalism. I, I actually think it might be 
it might be an antidote to some of the globalism mentality. I don't know. What do you think? That what's the antidote? That maybe the coronavirus actually may be an antidote to some of the globalism mentality. Well, you would think that it would cause people to start to think about borders more and also home protection more and things like that. But who knows? You've got celebrities tweeting about, we've got a pandemic. Let's open all the borders and have one military and be one world order without seemingly realizing what might what might go wrong with that <laughs> well and that's and that's so, kind of the the globalist that that's kind of the intersectional mentality right you have to not think that that the u.s you have to not think that what makes the u.s special is its ideas that there's nothing you have to think that there's nothing special about the u.s to be um to be excited about the idea of a one world government you literally need to think well <clears throat> the average of all the governments is just as good as what we have now. There's nothing special about us. Um, and that's dangerous because, there, you know, obviously there are there is a small contingent of us in the U.S. who believes that the principles upon which the United States were founded are unique, special, and superior to other countries, and we will fight to protect it. So, um, but, you know, that's, the, that's really the crux of it is this idea that, like, there's nothing special. It is no better. In fact, it might be worse because there were some bad things that happened in the past. Therefore, eradicate it. Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of worried that this is going to be approximate cause to a civil war of some kind. I just don't know how. Are you worried about that at all? Not really. No. I mean, I don't I'm know. Crazy. I'm, anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just crazy. Um <sighs> Oh, I want to talk about one other thing that uh, I think it was Kent again. Kent, man, you've been sharing stuff. You've been sharing a lot of interesting stuff to me. Um, Trump did something that I don't think is getting reported very, very much. Uh, so, Carrie, are you familiar with what Saudi Arabia and Russia did <laughs> to try and, let's say, carpe diem on the global coronavirus pandemic? No, I did um what are you talking about? They dumped a bunch of oil on the market um, because, of course, the U.S. is, uh, you know, I think we are energy dependent, independent now or we're close or whatever. But obviously, that's one of our goals, energy independence. And so they figured now's a good time to just crush the oil price. So they dumped a bunch of oil on the market and drove the price down to uh, actually below, I think you need like 24 five bucks a barrel on average or something to operate maybe it's 30 like you can't you can't sell oil it's expensive to pull out of the ground especially in the u.s because it's um there's more refinement so um it's expensive to get a barrel of oil and uh if if you don't have prices up 25 30 bucks a barrel it suddenly even becomes economical uh, uneconomical to even um to produce the oil. So they dumped a bunch of oil on the market thinking like, haha, we're going to like this, we're going to put a bunch of oil companies out of business in the US. Now, the caveat to what I'm about to say is obviously, I don't believe the government should be involved in business and bailing people out. And I, I stand by that. Uh, however, the government is involved in all of it. And uh, we do have oil reserves, which I believe were have been largely depleted by previous administrations. Um, and Trump took this as an opportunity. He had the powers under this emergency act. And so he used this as an opportunity to, uh, I think he's buying 30 million barrels of oil, uh, at a really cheap price, which kind of, uh, (laughs) ruins the Saudis goal because it will, unless they keep dumping, 
uh, he just picked up a bunch of oil super cheaply for the United States, and we can replenish our oil reserves. Uh, the U.S. usually has a bunch of oil reserves, and uh, and actually it does obviously helps the oil industry as well. Now, granted, he's doing that with my money, so not super fan of fan of that, but the government does that kind of stuff already. It was a pretty good. It was a pretty good move. It's a move you'd expect from a business person. He was like, "Oh, the price went down. Now's the time to buy." So he bought a bunch, and um, I think staved off uh, the potential closure of a lot of oil companies in the U.S. As a result, is my guess. So I know you love economics, and probably you love oil yeah. just as much as economics, right? Wait, which is better, oil or economics, Carrie? I, it's hard for me to rank them. They're both so thrilling. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I actually have to go, but um, I know you stay sometimes after I leave. So, But thank you guys for tuning in today. And we're going to be doing book club on Sunday, uh, live chat at 7 p.m. Central Time if you want to join us. And if you like this video, hit like. Be a little more upbeat next time. Yes. Take please, care, Carter. Please be upbeat next time. Uh, although if you're not feeling well, go take care of yourself. So I feel fine. All right. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Bye Carrie. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much I'll stick around guys. I mean, uh, I, I monologued a lot of this show cause Carrie was a little bit under the weather. So, um, uh, I don't know if there's a lot else to say. I guess I will. Um, since, since this is the Kent Onufertruck show today, uh, Kent, I'll just, I'll talk about something else that you sent in. Uh, about economic illiteracy. I know people don't like to talk about economics. Um, oh, and speaking of economic illiteracy, uh, too bad Carrie's gone. Uh, tonight, I am going to release a weird kind of show. It's un it's unlike anything we've done. We didn't even produce most of the content, but uh, my daughter and I made something and I'm going to release that maybe, maybe will help people with some basic economics. Uh, but uh, along those lines, I'm going to share what just something that Kent said he he says he was having a chat with someone on facebook about um this premise this person on facebook says the price with the price of oil being so low it's a perfect time to get off oil and develop green energy um i and kent pointed out what's wrong with that and was baffled that this person didn't understand and so it's a good point it's a good time to maybe uh it's a good time to maybe explain that for people who don't see why that's stupid. Uh, when oil prices are low, they're low because there's an excess of supply. So cheap available oil is, is more of a competition against green energy, not less of a competition. You switch to other forms of energy when oil gets too expensive, that's when you switch. You don't have an incentive to switch sometimes it's easy to take things to extremes to show, to prove a point. So I'm going to take something to an extreme. Imagine that oil prices go to zero and oil is free. Why would you ever compete with it? There's no business competing with oil. It's free. You have basically free energy forever. Uh, so imagine a scenario. So anything more than free, as you move away from free competition becomes more likely. Uh, similarly, you can imagine if oil was infinitely priced, uh, if we are actually running out of oil, uh, at the free market will take care of this. At some point, the last barrel of oil will be extracted from the Earth's crust. I don't know when that point is. It's a long way off. When that last barrel of oil is obstructed, 
It will be the most expensive barrel of oil you could possibly imagine buying, near infinite in cost. And at that point, the demand, uh, the economic advantage of green energy, I'm using green in quotes, but the economic advantage of other energy sources will far outweigh, uh, it'll be far outweigh oil. It'll be much more advantageous to do something other than oil. Uh, so this person uh, got it backwards, which is not surprising because leftists always get economics almost c completely backwards. But this is completely backwards. When oil prices are down, that's not the time to jump into to other forms of energy. That's the time to double down on oil. Um, so uh, Omara67 asks, will oil bounce back and stocks increase in value? I don't know. Uh, if oil will bounce back. I mean, I think eventually oil will bounce back. It's been, I mean, it's been historic, it's been low for a while. Um, so uh, I don't, um, you know, it's, it's off from its heyday. I don't see how oil could be, could stay super low, super long. Although if there's not demand because there's not activity, it'll stay low. So I think the prices will definitely stay low uh, until the economy recovers, until economies, plural, recover. And who knows when that's going to be. I think that's going to be, um, I think we're in for the long haul. We didn't talk about this because I know Carrie doesn't want to talk too much about the coronavirus stuff, but I think we're in it for the long haul. We're going to be here for quite a while. Um, and this economic devastation is just starting. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I don't expect oil to, to go up anytime soon. Um, I, the, the, I, I feel like I need to say a caveat to this or a disclaimer to this, I guess, disclosure, people that write articles about stocks always give disclosures. I am invested in both fracking and non-fracking U.S. oil companies. So, um, you can take that with a grain of salt if you want. It doesn't affect my opinion about any of this. In fact, some of them are, uh, one of them is, is threatened because, uh, it, it's kind of a startup. I'm not sure it will last through, through this. It may die. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's where we are. Um, I think we are definitely entering a global recession and, uh, yeah. Little Ragamuffin says, let's talk about the government mandating homeschool. <laughs> are they mandating homeschool? Little Ragamuffin? I don't know if they are. One thing I'm excited about is, uh, oh, you know what? I can say something that pisses me off. People like when I get mad, I'll get mad for just a moment. Um, I have seen a barrage of tweets from parents who think they're being funny who say or who's saying things like um you know teachers should make a billion dollars because i've only been with my kids for one and a half hours so far and it's horrible ah i have a message to those parents fuck you uh you're a horrible parent if you can't stand hanging around your kids you shouldn't have had kids and if you have to send them off to a crappy government school just to survive in the household with them Fuck you. Put them up for adoption. Um, kids aren't that bad. Yeah, sometimes kids are noisy. They play. They have other agendas. If you're that retarded of a person, you're such a bad parent that you can't manage your kid being home. You don't even. You shouldn't even have kids. It's a joy to have my daughter at home. I love that she's homeschooled. And uh, this is an opportunity for good parents. This is an opportunity for good parents to see just how delightful it is to have your kids around during the day and just how much more effective any kind of homeschooling or online schooling is as compared to the government prisons that we call schools that kids are going to. When they are at home, they're not going to get beat up. 
Uh, they're not going to get bullied. They're not going to be bored out of their minds. They're not going to have to ask to go to the bathroom. They're not going to be put into this regimented prison-like system where their their mind is turned to mush. They're not going to get leftist propaganda. Look, I don't think most people in most parents in this country are not radical leftists. But every parent who has a kid in school in public school, that kid is being indoctrinated by radical left ideology. So. This is great. This is this quarantine. One silver lining is this. It, there's a great side effect here, which is kids aren't getting indoctrinated. Parents aren't going to be. You know, if you're homeschooling your kid, very few of you out there have decided I need to make sure that you know we go over pr- pronouns and uh, the gender unicorn or whatever the hell they're they're teaching. Right? We need to talk about anal sex with kids because that like no one's doing that. People are teaching math and reading and some, maybe some science and some history. Like they're they're looking, they're going to Khan Academy. They're teaching actual real stuff, which means the indoctrination's gone. When your kids are home, they're not getting indoctrinated by crazy lefties anymore. And I'm hoping that people realize how easy it is to homeschool and how much better it is and how much uh, how little time your kid actually has to spend schooling as compared to what they'd have to do in school to get the same rewards. And they can do much better if they spend more time. Uh, if they spend, you know, if they spend the same amount of time they were in school, they'll do much better in homeschool. All you got to do is figure out a way for them to interact with other kids. You got to figure out some socialization. That's not hard. There's groups like 4-H. There's plenty of clubs that get together, obviously not during the coronavirus thing. But um, this is a this is a time for you to try out homeschooling. If you're stuck at home because you don't have a job, I get it. I get I get you're financially stressed right now. I totally get it. I do I do recommend you, you know, if you can figure out alternate sources of income. Yes, I'm not telling you to just, you know, not worry about that. But if you're stuck at home, you know, you it's uh the the downside of that is you may be under economic stress and you can't go out. The upside of that is you now have time. You have time on your hands. Use that time. Discover the joy of homeschooling. Discover the joy of teaching your kids. Figure, you, will, you will learn that your kids can learn much more quickly than you think. They can be smart and interested and curious, and school doesn't have to suck, and it doesn't have to take all day. Um, so this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to do that. So everyone that's stuck at home, homeschool. And Don't let me catch you whining about your kids. If you can't stand your kids, you're the problem. You are the problem. Because guess who raised them? If they're so horrible to be around that you think crappy high school teachers and middle school teachers and preschool teachers should get a billion dollars a year because, oh my God, it's so difficult to deal with my kids. You're the asshole that raised those kids, jerk. Look at yourself. Your kids shouldn't be horrible to hang out with. They should be a delight to hang out with. And it's not all kids. It's your kids. Don't act like it's all kids are a problem. Your kids are a problem, not all kids. And, uh, you know, I'm really, I am really angry at how kids are the last unprotected class of people in this country. People just crap on them. They don't care what they, they have like no agency. They throw them in these crappy schools. If this was happening to anyone else, even, even child abuse isn't treated very uh, severely. You know, a, a spouse that you're abusing, that spouse can leave. Right? I mean, I still feel bad for that spouse and would like to support them. But at the end of the day, two adults can separate. An adult can leave. You have agency as an adult. A kid is literally trapped there with you. So don't be an ogre. Don't be a beast. Don't think you're funny or cute t- tweeting about how teachers deserve so much money. Teachers are crap. Teachers don't deserve crap. Public school teachers are pieces of crap. They don't have any expertise. 
They're busy indoctrinating you, and your kid can learn better from YouTube videos than public school. They don't deserve more money. They deserve to be put out of jobs. These public schools deserve to be closed. And this is a time for you to open your eyes and realize public school is worthless. You don't need it. That's my rant. All right. There's a lot of <laughs> chats that went by during that rant. I hope they're all not. Screw you, Carter. But um, anyway, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else uh, that we need to cover today. Um, um, let me look through my let me look through my notes, <laughs> my notes from Ken basically. K Ken rocked giving us talking points. By the way, send us stuff like this. I love when people send us stories, so please send us stuff because uh, it really makes it. I want to talk about stuff that you guys care about. So and and frankly, we share a lot of values. Even people I disagree with in chat, compared to the rest of the world, we share a lot of values, and we want to talk about similar things. So. Um, you know, it's great when you do that. Daniel, thank you for the five bucks. You know, when you when you contribute, Daniel, you can say something and like force me to engage on a particular topic if you want. But um, anyway, look, stay, stay, stay safe out there, everyone, um, especially economically. I know this is tough. Uh, please prepare because you are you are going to be in for the long haul. This is not a week of being home. If you're in an area that hasn't been under mandatory shut shut in or whatever they're calling it, um, shelter in place, you're probably going to end up that way if you're in a major city. Um, prepare for it uh, and um, enjoy it. Enjoy as much as you can because, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll feel like it's lasting forever and then it will be over and your kids are going to go ha go back to school unless you make a good decision. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, later, everyone, have a good weekend. We will see you on Monday. And don't forget, again, tonight, uh, maybe in a few hours, but probably tonight, I'm going to release kind of this weird thing. It's it's not even really our content, but we redid something that someone else had done in the past. So I'm going to release it. It's a fun, it's like an hour long. It's a fun, like, economics lesson. Uh, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. You can share it with your kids. My daughter's 10. She enjoyed it. So, and she, she uh, recorded it with me. So, all right. Have a good one, everyone. Take care.